the Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Elijah Brubaker. Elijah is an Eisner Award nominee for his book, uh, The Story of Jezebel, which came out last year from the fine folks at Uncivilized Books. As well, Elijah's been doing the ongoing, um, not coming out often enough for my liking, uh, Reich series uh, with Sparkplug. Um, and it's probably like the last thing still coming from Sparkplug, or is it even coming from Sparkplug anymore? I don't know. Uh, no, I finished that. There was was volume nine the last? Was that kind of volume twelve was the last? Oh, I've only got up to nine. Man, you're behind. I I'm bummed because I really enjoy it, <laughs> and I don't know how I did not know there was a ten, eleven, twelve. Um, oh, I'm really bummed. <laughs> was it was were all all them published by Sparkplug? The last uh, yes. three? Yeah. Okay. I mean the last the last few issues were when Virginia was trying to kind of wrap Spark Plug up, so I don't know if it really got distributed too well, but yeah, they're all done. Okay. Um uh, well we'll be talking a bunch about it because uh 
obviously I enjoyed it if I'm bummed that there's well I, maybe I'm excited there's more for me to read I don't have to wait I just gotta <laughs> order them uh, I think wow cool will have them available for order for folks who right. are like me and did not get all 12 um, so yeah those are the two main works as well as uh, your work in various anthologies I was just reading uh, paper cutters today with your Hubert and was it Ray comics yeah Hubert yeah. Murray, and uh, as well, you had the mini comics Blue Moon, but that was quite some time ago um, that those came out. So, yeah, thanks, Elijah, for joining me today. I'm glad to be here, man. And congrats on the on the Eisner knob. That must have come out of uh, nowhere. Yeah, I'm still kind of thinking that somebody's pranking me or something, but I'm. Uh... Whoever nominated me or whoever voted for me or whatever, I, I, I definitely appreciate it. I'm used to hearing about like how all the Batman comics are nominated for Eisner's or whatever, and then there's my my goofy little Bible comic is on there. You're on there, and uh, I was really happy to see Catherine Collins was on there for Neil the Horse Collection. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Which is like totally out of left field for me. Like I love that work, and... Uh, to see it kind of getting recognition for the recent collection. That was really nice. So it's an odd year. I like it. I'm not complaining. Me neither. <laughs> um, now this work, um, I guess, kind of break talking into like the two different works because they are very different and kind of different focuses and different kind of understandings of the work. And I think I want to start out by talking about Reich if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. All right. Um, of the um, famed... Um, what's a good description of him? I don't want to say, like, psychiatrists, because there's so much else as well. Um, I always describe him as a psychoanalyst and sex researcher. There we but go. But he also fought UFOs, so <laughs> kind of hard to pin down. Um. Now, when you, from what I read in the first book, you started doing stuff about him way back in like 1995. You did a small mini comic. Uh, that is not true. Oh. Uh, I, I that that's one of those things that it it might be the worst typo I've ever made because because uh, <laughs> it's mentioned in every article and interview and whatever. It was 2005 is when I said. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, that's okay. Um, that's still a while ago from now, but I think I first right. I picked up that first issue, maybe two thousand six, two thousand seven was when it came out. Mm -hmm. I remember. Yeah, I think it. I did. I did like two mini comics, and then uh, Dylan at Sparkplug said, "Hey, this is pretty good," and I said, hey, "You're my new publisher, dude." <laughs> that sounds about the way to work with Dylan. Um, yeah. Now, what kind of stuff were you doing before kind of launching into the Reich stuff? Um, because you just don't uh, start out before at... Before Reich, I was doing a lot of uh, kind of just formative autobio type of things. You know, I was really influenced by a lot of the underground comics and uh, Harvey Pekar and whatnot. So I was trying to do my version of that and trying to figure out how to be a cartoonist. So that was kind of the working through the motions to kind of get to where you wanted to get to right yeah um, 
I don't know if I'm being presumptive by saying that. Does that sound okay? No, that's totally it. It's just that even even with Reich and up until now, I still kind of feel like I'm trying to figure it out. So, you know, that that part of it never really stopped. It's just that I kind of got bored with doing autobiocomics. I felt like I didn't have that unique of a take on everyday life. So I figured I'd try to try to branch out and do something a little bit more ambitious. So what, what was the idea um, beyond just Dylan wanting to publish it, like um, jumping into Reich and doing a lot of research into him? Was he someone you'd always been interested in? Uh, yeah, ever since I was a teenager, um, I, I always had this uh, fascination with mad scientists and, uh, you know, he, he, he encompassed a lot of, like, cool shit that I was into. Like, he was into, like, he was, you know, he was into fucking and UFOs. So how can you not want to make a comic about that? Um, did you come by it by way of, like, the Robert Anton Wilson and William S. Burroughs type of thing? Or is it kind of some other different kind of esotericism? Terrorism? No, it, it was totally through William Burroughs. And uh, Robert Anton Wilson I got into a little bit later, but yeah, it was it was fully from them. Because even, like, I, I, I'm just interested of, like, why a particular person um, is someone to jump into with such work, like... Because, like, also Robert Anton Wilson himself was kind of a unique, interesting, crazy man. Right, yeah. I I, uh, I originally just wanted to do a biography. It, it wasn't even... Uh, I wasn't even really sure what it was going to be about. It was just... I, I wanted to do a nonfiction work, and, like, I was kind of casting a, uh, around for who it should be, and... Uh, there's a comic that I've been working on for a while called Billy Goal, and he was originally my my subject. He was a murderer in uh, Aberdeen, Washington, and there's almost no information about him, no reliable information anyway. Isn't so that where, like, Kurt Cobain's I, from? Yeah, exactly. Okay, sorry. Yeah, any, any book about Aberdeen is like, there's Kurt Cobain and a murderer lived here. So... <laughs> Um, so I was, uh, I just happened to be reading yet another biography of Wilhelm Reich and I thought, well, Hey, no, not too many people know about this guy and there's a lot of information on him so I can do the research and everything. So it was kind of serendipity. Um, now did you grow up in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up on the Oregon coast. So is one of the interests in the, is the the Aberdeen killer kind of something that you grew up around? Um, no, not really. I can't remember where I first heard of him. But, I mean, I, I do read a lot about regional history and everything. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's tied to that. There was just some random paragraph somewhere. There but is... I, but the original, the original thought was to pick a topic that there isn't a million books already about, you know? Mm -hmm. And of course, as I did more research into Reich, I realized there are a million books about him. It's just that nobody really reads them anymore. <laughs> uh, and there's no real comics on him, I don't think. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there you got you got that that corner of the market covered. Um, the interesting thing for me is you're kind of when I think of like most nonfiction biographical comics, um, there's a very clear specific linearness in a lot of them. Um, or with you, I feel like it's more kind of snapshots and points in time to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it isn't necessarily linear. It's just more of um, how that works in this part of the story. And I was really interested how you kind of branch off more and more into into that. And so I'm wondering about your approach going into doing this longer form work and kind of what you had in mind and how that changed while working on it. Oh, it, it changed quite a bit. Like I, uh, any, any time I work on anything, I think that I have a plan for it. And as soon as I put a pen on paper, it's completely out the window. So <laughs> a lot, a lot of it, a lot of that nonlinearity was just like, what am I trying to say about the character at this point? And so like how, like what would be the best point in his life to tell that particular aspect of the character like that's that's kind of how i think of the book is like a character study as more of a character study than i'm just going to lay out all these things that happened to him you know and i find it interesting how you use kind of points in the future before other points to kind of inform how he gets to a certain point um right yeah the one issue I think is at number six, um, where you kind of time jump, for lack of a better term, um, issue seven. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's between six and seven. That there's a there's a big leap. Like he's suddenly in America, and you don't know where where you are yet. And I kind of love how confusing that is, um, and you're just left with a lot of questions. And I'm interested. I guess like you're kind of like separating the series in half, maybe with that. And I didn't realize at the time, but now I'm thinking about it like, oh yeah, issue seven. It's kind of the different phase of his life. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't consciously like have a first half of the story and the next half of the story, but but it just kind of <laughs> fell into place that everything that I had to say about his life in Europe was pretty much done there are parts that i had to cut out and whatnot but and how he came to america and him getting adjusted and everything wasn't that interesting to me it was i wanted to leap ahead to tell the story of the relationship between him and his son so it it's suddenly kind of from the son's point of view for a while mm-hmm. and i guess kind of want to jump more into because you you know you talk about him being the sex researcher and stuff, but you focus more on the personality and the person and the family, um, and less on the, um, the scandalous parts or being scandalous parts. Like you really focus on him as a person, I guess. Yeah. And I, I do sort of regret not putting in more of how, how sex was seen in the fifties and previous, like, cause he was like, all he was, all he was doing was talking about free love and all that kind of thing. And 
But at the time, that would have been like hugely frowned upon and hammered down and everything. And I kind of feel like I should have put in a little bit more outside perspective mm-hmm. from that. But you know, like I'm not, I'm, I'm no scientist. I don't know <laughs> too much about sex research other than you know what everybody does. <laughs> and uh, and uh, but I am a human being, and I know people with families, so I can tell that story pretty easily. Yeah. But I, it, it's that thing I really like of just kind of making a rounded character. Because um, sometimes with comic biographies, it, it can be pretty clinical where you're just like, you're seeing those points, like the Eureka moment and then this moment, and where he kind of hits those moments, but you don't see it happening, and you kind of dial back to it. Um, and it's just more of kind of him navigating the world or navigating his own world. Well, I'm glad you liked it, man. I'm, I was, uh, I was sort, of, I was sort of in the weeds while I was doing it. I was like, "Is anybody going to care about this guy? He's kind of an asshole." So, <laughs> I'm glad it connects with people, you know. Yeah. Well, like, you know, you it is quite, you know, for 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 doing mini comics beforehand, it's quite ambitious um, to end up doing a twelve part series on them. Um, and I'm really interested in in kind of how your own development as a cartoonist, like I don't think you could have done Jezebel without doing Reich beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Because part of it is also really interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I didn't say it's, it's interesting to see um, kind of your artistic development and your storytelling development through it. And kind of really where you're kind of hitting personal marks within your work. Yeah, you can, you can definitely see a progression from page one to page, whatever the end was. Um, I, uh, I, I definitely feel like I'm a better cartoonist, uh, than when I started it. Mm-hmm. I look at those first pages and I'm just, Oh man, what was I doing? <laughs> Do you have any plans to get it collected or anything or? Um, I, I've been telling people no, but that's not true. It's just that, when I do collect it, I'm going to have to do a lot of work and I don't want to do that work. You know, I'm probably going to redraw maybe the entire thing. <laughs> Jesus. <Lord. laughs> I, don't think I mean, I, I've had, I've had people tr- like, have, like people have bitten at it and I've, I, I've had interest, but all of those, like there have been a couple of times where it's actually been like, yes, this is going to be a book with this, person and it's all fallen through for one reason or another but it's mostly just that it's the first the first half of that book is pretty cringy to me there's a certain point where you kind of got to let the work speak for itself though like i always kind of argue this with folks that want to revisit the work because to me Mm -hmm. it i mean there there's hiccups along the way but that's also part of the art to it is seen the creator learn through the process too yeah yeah maybe i don't know i don't know though man i'm there there's like i i don't think of myself as a control freak when it comes to my comics i mean anybody that has read anything of mine can tell that i don't really spend a whole lot of effort in making sure everything's super correct or anything but if i if i 
if I can fix something that kind of turns my stomach when I look at it, I definitely will. Yeah. It's tough because like, it's, it's that perception of uh, different people's responses to works and an artist will always be right. toughest on themselves in regards to those works, I guess. I'm just saying, it's great. I really liked it. I was really impressed. Thanks. Um, I do really hope folks check it out. Um, it definitely, um, it's 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 a really strong biography of of a of a of a, of a person, and um, you really take some good chances with the work. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm. Yeah, and I think. You think? I think if people go to the uh, the Alternative Comics website, I think they're all available through there. There we go. Um, yeah. Now, with through the research of kind of understanding it uh, and understanding him and the stories of his that you want to tell, um, kind of what were some of the things that stood out to you as far as wanting to like pursue uh, within that story of of Wilhelm Reich? Um, well, other than other than uh, the kind of the surface level things that I talked about before, like, you know, sex and science fiction and all that kind of stuff. I, uh, I really gravitated toward him as a character because he's really unlikable. Yeah. And I wanted to, like, he's unlikable in that gregarious, likable sort of way. Like I'm sure he would be like the life of the party. And then you'd leave that party and think, what an asshole, you know? (laughs) So I I really kind of stepping into the shoes of a character like that. Yeah. Um did you were you able to come across like other people's accounts of their time with him? Um yeah, yeah, there's a lot out there. He's uh he was he definitely wanted to be like the next, you know, big man in the world and uh you can't really you can't really pal around with Freud and like, you know, come up with crazy ideas about what sex is and all of that without people writing, you know, endless diary entries about, you know, this guy that they knew or whatever. Like one of the, uh, one of the characters in the book is, uh, Leah Lasky. And, uh, she wrote quite a bit about, uh, her time with him at, in college and whatnot. Now, one of the things I think he's most known for is the the Orgon box. Right. Uh, maybe you can kind of explain that to folks that kind of get an idea of of some of his odd ideas. Yeah, he uh, he had this idea that uh, I mean that that Orgon is this Orgon energy is this uh, it's this energy that kind of powers all life in the universe and. Uh, orgone energy is released most significantly during sex and orgasm. And he ended up coming up with a bunch of devices that were powered by orgone energy or were meant to accumulate orgone energy. And one of them was his orgone accumulator box, which was a, uh, it alternated layers of uh, organic and inorganic matter, which is like wood and metal. And it was just a box and you would sit in it and you would kind of meditate or whatever. Uh, the papers at the time said that people would masturbate in there, but he never had any type of prerequisite for that. Um, 
but you would sit in there and you would accumulate orgone. You would get flooded with orgone energy, and therefore that would be very therapeutic to you. And it would, you know, it would cure cancer and all kinds of things. You know, um, you put in a little thing about Einstein testing his theories, right? And I didn't know yeah. about that. And so, what was the deal there? Um, he. Uh, <laughs> he wanted to, like, one of the main problems with him as a scientist is that he never got anything peer-reviewed. He he basically created a new science and uh, put out pamphlets about his science, and the only people that would write about his science were other people that agreed with how that worked. Uh-huh. And people started saying, you should get, like, you know, real scientists involved. And he said, okay, I'm going to talk to Einstein. And everybody said, well, no, I mean, like, you know, like real scientists, like just scientists. You don't have to go to the most famous person in the world at the time. And he said, no, I'm going to go and talk to Einstein. And he actually got a meeting with Einstein. They talked for several hours about all of the theories and whatnot. And Einstein said, yes, this is very interesting. I'll check it out. And he checked it out. And, you know, not too long afterward, he said, no, it's crackpot stuff. There's nothing here. Yeah. So that was kind of the end of that. But people like said, I'm never talking to another real scientist again. <laughs> Screw you guys. I'm taking my box and going home. Um, right. But people... And I know there are, there are a bunch of Reikians out there that are going to get on my case about real science versus crackpot science and all that kind of stuff. I don't mean to insult anybody. I'm just saying that I believe in the scientific method, and if you don't use that method, then there's not a whole lot of science to be had. And it's the idea that everything in science is a theory until it's disproven. Um, right. And, and the unfortunate thing is Einstein disproved it. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Quite easily. Um, and yes, I'm sure there are some Reikians. And that's the interesting thing is like there there are people, still people, and there were people that were really into it. Burroughs had a orgone box in his in his home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was one, like he had one in the bunker when he lived in New York, and then he had one in his garden uh, when he lived in St. Lawrence in Kansas. Yeah, yeah, Lawrence, Kansas. Yeah, St. Lawrence is a river. Lawrence, Kansas, uh, he had one there, um, and he really believed in it. Yeah, there, there are... There are a lot of Reikians out there, and they are very serious. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get so many hate I, emails I, now. I, I still get them every once in a while. I've never had any real hate. Like, nobody's really, like, said, I'm going to get you or anything like that. But I, I have had a couple of uh, weird interactions where people say, this is very serious stuff you're, you're taking on here. And, you know, putting it in a comic book is making it, you know, it's, you know, you're, you're kind of shitting on our ideas here. And I'm like, okay, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess uh, th- there's that idea, because uh, what we're not, we haven't mentioned is the fact that he was, um, was he actually imprisoned at one point? Or was he just... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was for the Oregon box itself, or for his theories? Uh, no, it was for contempt of court, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, he, um, there, 
there was a subpoena for him to defend his um, his work because he was, uh, according to the FDA, he was making claims that his uh, his orgone machines could cure cancer. And he said, I've never said that they can cure cancer. I just said they're therapeutic. And the FDA said, yeah, that's 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 what we that's what we meant. You know, and so they they subpoenaed him to go to court and he wrote a stern letter saying that he wasn't going to go to court. And because he doesn't he didn't recognize the FDA as the the people that should be, you know, putting forth all of this, you know, hokum or whatever. Um, and the judge said, you don't just write a letter to court. You show up in court and defend your case. And he just never did. And so through through a couple of years of uh, kind of battling back and forth that way, he was just too stubborn to actually go to court for a long time. And it it escalated to the point of him ending up in jail. And the kind of ironic thing now is if he just did his like a health supplement, weird goji berry thing, it would be perfectly legal mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, yeah, he, he probably could have circumnavigated all kinds of stuff, but there were there were a couple of uh, inflammatory articles about how he was he had a weird sex compound and crazy stuff was happening. He was starting a cult and all that, and uh, you know, if, he, it, if it was just him and some goji berries, then that would have been fine. But you can't have goji berries and a sex cult. <laughs> uh, hear that, Doctor Oz. <laughs> Keep that in mind. <laughs> um, was part of it him feeling like, um, you know, surviving or making it out of Germany, um, like an underlying paranoia to everything? Uh, was that kind of going along for quite a while? Um, I don't think so. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not really qualified to psychoanalyze the guy or anything, <laughs> but I I from from what I've read, I would think that his um, his particularly strong personality type just kind of led to it's him against the world, and that started way before uh, you know the beginning of World War II and all of that. So, did you have a fair amount of, of skepticism before going into the work? Uh, probably, probably less than I do now. Um, I was a little less informed about him when I first started. And, um, I, all I knew was that he was, you know, he was kind of like this, this wild sex dude who the government burned all of his papers. Yeah. And, you know, so he was like kind of a hero. And the more I read about it, the the more I realized that a lot of that stuff was kind of uh, put on him by his own hubris, I kind of uh, I kind of tuned out a little bit more. I'm I'm still I still think he was a great dude. Like I love I love crackpots and weirdos and mad scientists and people with huge personalities. So it's not like it's not like I think he was you know a, a bad guy or anything, but. Um, but I don't, I don't hold any r- real regard for the science that he did. Mm-hmm. What's the part you're saying about the UFOs? 
Uh, he started fighting UFOs. And... <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's like the natural progression, right? You do sex research. You start, uh, you start sucking life energy out of the, out of the universe, and then you start battling UFOs. Um, that's, that is almost exactly how it happened, where he and his son were looking off in the horizon, and um, Reich had this theory that if you focused on a, play, uh, like on a blank part of the sky without any, without any stars in it or anything, you could actually start to see orgone energy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he noticed some lights off in the sky, and he realized that's a UFO, and it's powered by orgone energy. But it's giving off deadly orgone radiation, so we've got to fight them. So he had a he had a uh, an orgone cannon built, and he started shooting down the UFOs with his orgone cannon, and you know the rest is history. <laughs> That's going to be in the volumes I have yet to read, I presume. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, if you're only up to. Nine, yeah, it's like it, it takes a turn. <laughs> um, but I mean, but I mean, when you think about it, he has like he has a small son, and it's in the fifties when UFO craziness is going on. Oh yeah, and and it was it's just kind of a logical progression of like, you know, the son gets really excited because they're fighting aliens, and he gets really excited because his son's really excited, and aliens, 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 and well, you know, where where did they live at the time? Wasn't it in like the Southwest or? Um, they they did spend a lot of time in the Southwest, but uh, it, he had he had Oregon in Maine. I think it was Maine, might be Vermont. No, it's Maine, and uh, and they took a trip out to uh, Arizona, New Mexico area, and uh, because because there was this whole thing about how he could make it rain with his Oregon cannon. And so he would go out and talk to farmers about, you know, there's a drought going on, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help the blueberry farmers, and we're going to make it rain. And, you know, they actually did a couple of times. <laughs> Was there any scientific research to actualize anything for the, for the cloud busting? No, it was, prob- it was probably just coincidence. But, you know, they were, they were there. They were, pointing a, they were pointing a tube at the sky, and it started to rain, so... Love it. Might as well keep it up. Um, I I like yeah, and that's kind of the part I was really interested in. In, in, in I'm going to leave it alone because I think people should read it. But just kind of how you touch on that in issue seven, and kind of how it sets up everything, and kind of understanding the madness of the time, which is like a different madness that you see from the from the young keen psychoanalyst. Um, right. Oh yeah, man! People should read it. Every 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 few pages, there's some new, neat, crazy, cool thing that he comes up with. And there was one thing where he managed to get some radium. Yeah, which seems kind of crazy. Like, why would they give him any? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I don't really, I don't really understand how they could just be handing out radium. But uh, yeah, he got a little radium needle and it ended up irradiating everybody in his uh, his compound. Um, and uh, he he explained it as 
so there's orgone radiation, and then there's uh, or there's uh, orgone energy, and then there's deadly orgone, which is the anti-orgone, and um, apparently radium, when it comes into contact with deadly orgone radiation, it gets uh, amplified and will make everybody in your multi-acre compound really sick. Did people kind of start leaving him after that? Yeah, there were. I mean, he had some very uh, kind of rabid followers. I shouldn't yeah. say rabid. They were... Intense? Uh, loyal. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they, so he didn't have a lot of people, like, uh, leaving because of things like him irradiating them. He was just a very strong personality, and a lot of the times, you know, he would he would drive people away through just, you know, screaming and yelling about whatever. Um... Yeah, no, I love it. It's so insane. Um, do you want to kind of do more biographies of Odd Madman, or do you kind of feel you got that piece out of your system? Um, I still have a real interest in telling nonfiction stories, uh, but I don't know if I want to do like a biography. Yeah. Um, I I have this. Um, I have this plan. I have like a few pages collected already where I kind of want to do like, do you remember those, uh, those paradox press books, the, yeah. the big book of this or that I kind of want to do like one of those, like just an encyclopedia of short one or two page comics about some cool historical thing that I read about, Yeah, you know? No, those are great books. But, but I also don't want to, I also, I never want to be, uh, the type of cartoonists where you know what my next book is going to be like, you know, I don't want to be the biography guy and I don't want to be the humor guy or whatever. <laughs> well, and that, that was kind of the fun thing for me when I finally saw Jezebel uh, is it is completely different from, from Reich. Uh, and I kind of yeah. love that where you're just pushing yourself into a completely different direction with it. And so kind of like, well, Oh, go ahead. That that impulse is mostly just to, like I, I like I'm I'm just standing there with my with my bottom lip out and my hands on my hips, saying I want to do whatever I want to do, you know. <laughs> so, um, doing what you want to do. Why do you want to do uh, your version of a uh, book of the Bible, Elijah? Um, yeah. Um. Cause I can only do things that are completely tied to my own narcissism. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I grew up having this name and as, as a little kid, my dad would tell me the story of Elijah a lot. Like uh, both of my parents were kind of that generic American Christian type. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but they were both very, they had a, pretty good sense of humor and they always thought it was hilarious that elijah was described as a big and a hand they thought that was so funny and so my dad would tell me the story in sort of this you know jovial like there's this crazy dude who just believed in god more than anybody else isn't that great and you know 
just that kind of stuck with me in the back of my head for a long time and festered into this. I'll just tell it. I'll just make a joke book about this. <laughs> um, and the joke book turned into a 300 page graphic novel. Yeah. Well, originally <laughs> I wasn't, I originally, I hadn't had the idea to make it funny. No, like I just wanted to tell, I just wanted to tell the, the story of Jezebel as, you know, as it's told in the Bible through the lens of all of these dudes that were, you know, saying that she was awful. And I, I, I started to do the research, but I don't know if you know this, Robin, but there's a lot out there about the Bible. People have a lot of strong opinions about it. Yeah. Did you ever started to feel like this is too big and it took me like another couple of years where I just like sat down and I just started making jokes about it. There's this thing where like when Chester was working on his, uh, his Mary book and he, he posted a photo of like all the books he was reading at the time. It was like, how could he, it's just so much work, but that's his devotion. You know, right. It's, he, he wants to, but then he, ex, you know, makes the Chester Brown version of those stories as well. So it's all that interesting mm. thing where it's like, I can do all this research, but I'm going to make my own and make everyone a prostitute. Um, <laughs> I still haven't read that one. I haven't either. Uh, don't tell anyone. Oh, um, okay. but I've read I don't feel book. that bad then. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm always interested to see different people's takes on biblical work. Um, Mm-hmm. And kind of where they go with it, uh, especially when it's coming from folks who, um, well, it's kind of a balance, like folks who, before we started the interview, we mentioned because you live in Eugene, and uh, Mike Elrod lives in Eugene, and Mike Elrod did the Books of Mormon um, as kind of a faithful adaptation, uh, but it still reads as, like, as a superhero comic, which is really fascinating. Um, huh. But then there's... Um, you know, Robert Crumb doing the book of Genesis, which is like the most literal adaptation you could imagine. Um, yeah. Only the women all have big booties. Um, but it's still, it, it's very literal. Uh, but then there's also things like, I don't know if you've read any Gary Panter's um, Jimbo in Purgatory. Oh, the Jimbo stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which is really interesting, like, uh, because he's taking biblical stories and weaving it through with like classical literature and Renaissance literature um, and, you know, creating these multi-level stories, but there's still that stuff kind of coming through and kind of being reformed in a different way. Um, Right. And so it's my fascination of, of taking these traditional stories and really just doing what you want. And so that's kind of fun where you do kind of take the story of Jezebel was it the book of Elijah? Is that the actual part it's from in the Bible? Um, it's second Kings is the most where most of the action happens. Um, but you are just having fun with it. You've taken that story and you're kind of not really caught up on anything in it. Like you don't have any presupposed side. Thing right. Other than Elijah is kind of a jackass. <laughs> Well, I mean, even in the Bible, he's described as, you know, big and loud, and everyone is wrong except for him. Yeah. So, I mean, 
you can't you can't really go too far from that character. I like it that people are just like, oh, here's that asshole again. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I always, I feel kind of self-conscious with this book because I don't want anyone to feel like I'm attacking them for having religion, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I, I know people can be very sensitive when it comes to, you know, their faith or whatever. And, but there, but there is a lot of goofy hypocrisy in the Bible. And if you can't laugh at that, then what are you doing? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's a book constructed by a billion hands. Um, right. And it it is the basis for most Western literature as well. So it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, I don't know. I think what you're doing is fine. I don't think you're, you're, you're heretical at all. Um, well, thanks, man. <laughs> you're not going I, uh, well. <laughs> well, if I believed in it, I, I still wouldn't really be too worried, but you know, I don't, I don't want to make fun of anybody's stupid religion. But just don't say it's a stupid religion then. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's good advice. You're not really making fun of religion as much as you're just like, uh, it's just a story. It's the story of the characters and, um, and, and one thing I was just thinking while we're talking is like, there is kind of a parallel between Elijah in this book and Wilhelm Reich in a way. Do you see that? Or How not? so? Uh, just I mean, I, I see it in certain ways, but I'm, I'm curious what you have to say about that. Well, they're, they're guys that think they're right um, and uh, kind of do what they want at the um, at the cost of someone else. So, like, there's a part right. in, in the book where, um, you know, he shows up at someone's house and eats all their food. Um Wilhelm Reich uh, has relationships with women um, and, you know, that are of absolutely no consequence to him, but of consequence to the women um, hmm. and that kind of way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why I'm so uh, drawn to uh, examining characters like that, but I like I've never had an urge to tell a story where the main character is likable in any way. Like I kind of, I always kind of want to uh, take the worst qualities of a character and try to get an audience to follow them anyway, or to like them in a way, you know? I like that. um, It is such a free flowing easy thing and like one of the challenges with with biblical works is people get caught up on um the setting and the place and the references and stuff and you just kind of let the work breathe and come Hmm. flow um i don't know what i'm really saying with that um but it is kind of yeah i didn't i never i never really wanted to get too bogged down into 
like biblical detail. Yeah. Like I did, I did go back and try to fix all of the places where I called one town by another town's name. And, but that it's sort of like when you read those, the, those books of Bible, there are towns that are essentially the same. They seem like the same place, you know, they have the same name and they're, you know, so I, I was, I was sort of diligent about fixing certain things, but you know, there's a part in the book where the guy uses a phone, so I'm not too, <laughs> I'm not worried too much about it. And uh, your interpretation of God, which I really love. Um, <laughs> gosh, it's a dude you want to hang out with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering, like, what was kind of the, did you kind of explore different ways of manifesting this, this idea? No, he he pretty much popped out just how just how he is in the book. I mean, I drew I drew a little guy in my sketchbook and I had this idea of God as being like a guy that doesn't take any of it too seriously. Like he's like he's just kind of having fun with people. Like, ah, you nut. Yeah. It's kind of crazy that you do that. And um there's like I've asked around and no other cartoonist really knows what I'm talking about, so maybe I'm making this up. But uh, there, in in I'm not a big manga guy, but I've read a couple of books where there are little little dudes hanging out in the background. You know, they just kind of pop up and they make some dumb comment. And I thought there was like that's like an idiom that they that people would use in manga. But I, I don't know. It's like the it's like the equivalent of uh, of like an Aragonese thing, like drawn in the margins or something. Yeah. Where, like, I always thought that, like, like God would be that guy that shows up in, like, in the gutter of your comic and says, isn't this stupid? And then disappears, you know? I think, well, the one thing I can think of is, like, in Tezuka, he'll do things that are, like, referentials to other work or, like, pop in there for a second. Huh. Um, that, that maybe is the thing I would think of, but I'm also, I'm not very well versed in, in, in manga like I've read a bunch of Zuka stuff and they're, they're, that's something I think of especially in Buddha where you've got like these like very specific things happening and then you've got like this weird character from one of his other comics um, huh. commenting okay. about it and stuff so I don't know if that that contextualizes it all um, but it does make yeah, sense yeah it's something like that it's just, there's, there's, this, there's this urge for cartoonists to have like a prankster character that isn't important to the story and just makes comments about stuff. And I was trying to tap into that. Yeah, it works. I like it. <laughs> and God's got buck teeth. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, he's got little buck teeth. <laughs> so how, um, was there a point where you're like, just diverging further and further and just kind of making this story just more madness by like bringing in phones and stuff? Um, there's like no rules apply anymore. Uh, well, the only rule that I had was like, I, like I used one book for reference, the Bible, and that was it. Like all of the events had to kind of match up to what happened in the Bible. And other than that, it was, it was mostly just like what would make a funny gag. So there's, there's a part in the Bible where, um, 
the 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 book that I have the the translation is like one of the characters calls up another character or something like that. It just it was like evocative of somebody calling someone. Yeah. But you know they did he you know he had to ride probably like six days to find this dude. And I'm not going to draw that. I'm just going to draw him calling somebody up. You know? <laughs> I love it. Um, now, this came out uh, last year. You had some of it posted on the study group site. Um, right. And I'm interested. So it's been done for a little bit now. And kind of interested in what's, what's coming next for you. Uh, well, I have, I have a couple of projects going. I've got one. I've got the... Uh, the uh, you mentioned the paper cutter with Hubert and Ray, and I've got a book of their stuff. I've got almost two books of their stuff finished, and I'm trying to figure out whether I want to self-publish that or try to find a publisher for it. And I'm I'm a little self-conscious about it because it's like I've I've read through it a few times, and each time I get to the end, I think this isn't that good. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like I like in paper cutter. There's there are there's this kind of vibe of it's a humor story, but there's it's sort of poignant in parts. Mm -hmm. There's like this underlying like there's something be said, and I don't know if that's really in the in the book that I just finished. Hmm. So I've been I've been kind of editing and trying to fix things that I don't like before it before it goes anywhere, but. Yeah, that's done. And I've got a I've got a science fiction comic that I've been I've been noodling on for a long time. Nope. But that's uh, uh that's kind of a back burner thing. One of the things we didn't talk about is um and I, and I want to touch on a little bit is kind of your time working with Dylan Williams and um, sure. kind of what it was like having him as a publisher, um and kind of some of the things you learned from him or uh, time with him. Well he and I were uh I wouldn't say we were super close. Um, like there, there were people in Portland that had a lot closer of a relationship uh, to him than I did, but it was, he was like a, he was such a nice guy and I'm kind of, I was going to say I'm not, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm more of an introvert type mm -hmm. and uh, usually talking to, like someone who's a friend of mine will go a long way for me. So yeah. I would like, uh, like he would, he would just like, we'd have little, we'd meet up at a coffee shop or whatever. And he'd be, he'd be drawing something for a reporter and telling me some story that I'm blanking out on right now. But, uh, you know, and I would go home and I would think, yeah, man, this guy really has his shit together. He really knows what he's talking about. And, uh, it wasn't until I'd known him for a couple of years that I, you know, I, fi I find out he's like Mr. Comics scholar and is friends with all of these people and has been working in comics for decades. And, you know, there's, there's that picture of him, him in, uh, oh, what is that comic shop? Anyway, there's him in the back of a comic shop with Jack Kirby and whatnot. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, no, no wonder this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was always really understated that stuff. And I didn't really realize right. until a little later, like, kind of getting more into what he's done. Like, oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, was, I was always kind of trying to encourage him to make more comics. 
because I always, I always, uh, I always enjoyed the reporter comics. Mm-hmm. Oh, he right. was, he was a great cartoonist, and like, I, as, as much as, like, I'm obviously grateful that he, that Sparkplug was a thing, and he became a publisher, um, not just for you know, my own selfish reasons, but he put out a lot of great books, but I, I feel like we kind of, we as an audience kind of were, there were a couple of more comics that he could have made. And I think we're, we're kind of poorer for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a balance. Um, I definitely think, uh, even do you think without that support from him, you would have been able to do as much with your work, um, with him publishing it? Uh, no, no, he was, I, I don't, uh, I, it's, it's weird because when, when he first mentioned that he liked the Reich comics that I was doing, the little mini comics that he saw, um, he was like, yeah, yeah. Tell me when it's done and I'll, and we'll make it a book. I was like, okay, that's cool. And then I, I, I molded over a little while and said, you know, we have to, we have to meet up. And we went out, we got some coffee and, uh, uh, I basically berated him into putting it out as, as like a series of comics. Cause I didn't think that it was ever going to be finished otherwise. Like if I didn't have that kind of constant, like, where's the next one? Where's the next one? then I would probably have given up. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you continued, and I'm looking forward to reading volumes 10, 11, and 12. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Folks, check out... uh, I I got a bunch of them laying around. I'll mail you some. Oh, that would be very sweet. I will... We'll we'll, we'll talk after. Uh, Okay. Yeah. No, thank you so much for joining me today, Elijah. Uh, Yeah, it was fun. Reminder, folks, I've been talking to Elijah Brubaker, whose uh, most recent book is The Story of Jezebel, which is currently up for an Eisner. Um, is it like original graphic novel or something like that? Adaptation? Uh, oh, man. It's, I don't know. It's the best comic ever made. There we go. Whoop, whoop. Uh, as well as the wonderful <laughs> Reich series. Um, thank you so much, Elijah, and congratulations. Oh,